0: In our I Believe series, we're looking at things that Christians have believed through the centuries and across denominational lines. What are those beliefs that knit us together? What are those beliefs that are clearly and regularly taught in the Bible that provide the center for all that we do, for all that we say, for all that we live, and for all that we believe? Well, we started the series a few weeks ago by taking communion together and reminding ourselves that Jesus connects. Christianity is all about connection. Jesus and his ministry connects us to God. He connects us with himself. He connects us with each other in community. And he connects us with the future that we don't deserve. And in the series, we're actually teasing out those and a couple of other topics. The next week, we talked about believing, having faith. What does it mean to believe in something? Well, this morning, we come to kind of an easy topic. I'm not sure I'm going to need all the time we have. We're going to talk about God this morning. So after maybe four or five minutes, we'll be done and can wrap your minds around God and we'll leave understanding what God's all about. Um, yeah, there's no way we're even going to scratch the surface. But I had a difficult time trying to figure out what passage are we going to look at or what, we, what ideas are we going to play with in order to think about God in ways that would be helpful to us and accurate according to what the Bible says. Well, my first thought was, well, we've got a story, Right? We've done an app, and if you don't have that app on your phone or on your tablet, you need to go and get it. It's called the Story. But here's one of the misconceptions that we often have when we pick up the Bible. I'll let you in on a little secret: the Bible is not primarily about you. The Bible's not your story. The Bible's God's story. Now, thankfully, amazingly, He includes us in His story. But we wanted to make sure that when we developed the Acts of God's story, that we made sure God was the main character. And so if you look, every single act has God as the subject. So God creates and God is rejected. God promises. God appears. God sends and God restores. That's the story. It's God's story. So maybe we can walk through the story app, but I didn't want to do that, so we're not doing that. Last week, we looked a little bit at the Apostles' Creed And hopefully, remember, there's a Father, Son, and Spirit section to the Creed. So maybe we'll just play with the first section of the Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. That's a pretty good start, right? God is Father, relational and personal. Yet God is creator. He's transcendent and powerful. Uh, But we did the Creed last week, so I didn't want to do that this week. Uh, Well, how about this one? Let's start at the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And notice at the beginning of the Bible, you don't have arguments for the existence of God. The Bible begins assuming God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't begin with all these philosophical discussions about is there God, is there not. God does stuff, and thereby that stuff gets there. But that leaves out a lot of important components about God that the rest of the Bible explains, and so we're not going to do that either. And then I remembered, you know, back in the spring, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, and in the Sermon on the Mount, you have the Lord's Prayer. Well, the Lord's Prayer can help us understand something about God, because it begins, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So you get the Father, you get hallowed, holy, separate, powerful. Uh, but we did that in the spring, so I don't want to do that either. Uh, so what are we going to do? Well, if I keep talking like this, I'll close in prayer. I'll tell you all, all that we didn't do. I did eventually decide on looking at Exodus chapter 3. In fact, I read a bunch of stuff and looked at a bunch of different things. And Exodus 3 is a passage that lots of pastors, lots of theologians go to to help us understand something about God. Now, here's an important thing that we need to understand and kind of calibrate our thinking to as we come to Exodus 3. Number one, we live in a culture and at a time when people are fond of saying this. Well, I understand what the Bible says, but I don't like to think of God like that. I like to think of God like this. I like to think of God as kind and loving and forgiving. I don't like to think of God as powerful and judge. I don't like to think about that. Well, here's the truth of the matter. You can think about God any way you want to think about God, but that doesn't change the reality of who God really is. And the truth of the matter is, one day, sooner or later, one day, sooner or later, every one of us, are going to run into the real God. You're either going to meet him in fear and trembling and grace and mercy and salvation, or you're going to meet him in fear and trembling and judgment. But one day we will all run into the reality of the real God. Well, this passage is going to help us understand the reality of God. Suppose you were were to come up after the service and say something like this. Well, Charles, I hear you up there, you know, most weeks, and you're talking about this and you're talking about that. But... I like to think of you as a cat-loving soccer fan <laughs> that loves Notre Dame and never has a nasty thing to say about anybody. That's how I like to think of it. Well, you can think about me any way you'd like, but that doesn't change the reality of who I am. Okay, have you found Exodus chapter 3? Well, let's read together the first few verses about the reality of the God that exists. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Let's stop there. Well, that passage is... Uh, full of a whole bunch of stuff, and we're not going to be able to work with all of the details, but I do want to kind of skate over it and help you understand a few of the pictures and a few of the words and kind of how they fit together. The first big idea is that God appears in fire. The bush is on fire, but this is unlike any other fire the world has ever known before. Uh, I'm not like a fire expert. I'm not a fireman. I kind of like to look at fires and stuff. I don't set them, but I, but I like to look at them. Uh, but this is an amazing fire. See, here's what I know. How many of you have a fireplace in your house or in your apartment? A real one, right? Not a fake one that uses propane. A real one. You know that if you have a real fire in your real fireplace, either it's going to burn out or you have to keep putting logs on it, right? Right? Um, If you don't put logs on it, eventually the logs burn, become ash, and the fire goes out. Now, at my home, we use Dora Flame logs that we purchase at the store. And they're really great because you can almost set your watch by these suckers, right? They burn for three hours and they go out. So, you know, you put them on an hour before the movie, watch the movie, when the movie's over, the fire's out. Uh, Now, you may, you know, use real wood on your fire, but one thing for sure, whether you use doorframe logs or real logs, when the fire begins to die down, you have to continually put fuel on the fire because every fire requires fuel. Now, if you're lazy and you don't want to go buy doorframe logs, you may have a propane fireplace. And you may think that that ruins the illustration. No, it doesn't, because eventually you have to buy propane. And either a propane truck comes and delivers you propane, or you go to the store and you buy propane, and when you run out of propane, the fire goes out. But this fire doesn't need fuel to burn. This fire just burns and burns and burns, and the bush is not consumed. What in the world is going on with this fire? Yeah, God's communicating what he's going to say in a couple of minutes, but he's communicating in the picture, I am dependent on nothing. I have independence. I exist and everything exists because of me. Nothing causes my existence. I am. He's going to say that as his name. But here it is. There, he is completely independent. God's not dependent on anything. This fire burns and burns. In fact, here's, here's how he says it. The angel of the Lord appeared in the flames of a fire. Moses saw that the bush was on fire. It didn't burn up, right? There's no fuel required. But there's something else pretty strange about fire that Moses is learning. And that is the, the, any fire, your fire, right, at a campfire. Whatever. Fire is not just a thought. Fire is not just um, in your mind. Fire is experienced, right? Have you ever sat around a bonfire or a campfire? All of your senses are engaged, right? You see the fire. You hear the fire you smell the fire, you feel the fire on your skin. What do we read throughout the Bible? God is not just a thought to be tucked away in our mind. The Christian life is not just a series of beliefs that we give assent to. The Christian life is the experience of knowing God through Jesus Christ. We experience God. I'm reading through the Psalms these days, right? And if you've never done that, read through the Psalms. And almost in every Psalm, you read of people experiencing God. They're not just thinking about God, they're experiencing God. And so we read this in one of the Psalms. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Notice, the psalmist doesn't say, think about God and know that he's good. You can think about God and know that he's good, but God is to be experienced. And just like at a fire, all of your senses are involved God is a real being, and all of Moses' senses are involved at the fire. God's communicating, Moses, you may have heard about me, but now you're meeting me. Now you're experiencing me. Oh, yeah, one other thing about a fire. Fire is pretty important, isn't it? You ever watch Survivor? Or What's one of the first things that all survivalists tell you or they always do on that show? Regardless of the climate, if you're lost, and you're not going to be found anytime soon, you better build a fire quickly. It doesn't matter the temperature, you need fire. Fire is important for heat when it gets cold. Fire is important for light, because at night you're not going to be able to see without a fire. And remember, back in Moses' day, they didn't have electric lights. Light was associated with fire in Moses' day, whether it was a candle, whether it was a lampstand, or whether it was a campfire. If you're going to see, there's going to be a fire. So there's warmth. You can sterilize water. You can cook your food. Without fire, there is no life. So do you think God just coincidentally said, oh, you know what, I'll show up to Moses and I'll be a fire. No, he's communicating lots of important things, right? I am completely, I have independence, Moses. Knowing me is an experience. And knowing me is of utmost importance. All of that comes... When God shows up to Moses in a fire, Moses is meeting God, the real God. Moses isn't saying, Well, you know, here's how I like to think about God. I like to think of God as an ice cube. I like to think, No, no. God tells Moses how to think about him. Well, it's not just in the fire. Moses then says, "Uh, Well, God, I've got a little bit of a problem. So I'm experiencing and learning about who you are that. You know, you are, that you have independence. I'm experiencing and I'm learning your importance. But now I'm going to go back to, back to Egypt, to Israelites, and I'm going to bring them out. Who shall I say sent me? Like, what's your name? And uh, name is the next thing, right? Uh, that's God's name in Hebrew, by the way, right? Elohim is more of a title for God. All right, so Elohim means God, but it's more like Mr., Mrs., Ms., That that That's Elohim. Yahweh, uh, right, is God's name. So Moses say, says, well, who shall I say sent me? God says, uh, tell him, I am sent you. What? Here, here's, here's how the conversation goes. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now that's a weird conversation, right? Uh, God, tell me your name. I am. Okay, I am. This is like the first who's on first episode, right? Uh, well, yeah, who? I am. Oh, uh, I, I am who? I am. Yeah, but you are. Uh, uh, but what's the point? You can never say, no one has ever been able to say through history, God will be. God is always M. There never was a time when God was not. Now, that'll hurt your brain, right? I remember when when we did the six acts of the story, and we start all the way over in Act One. God Creates. I remember standing over there with the tree, and here's what I said. God does not begin at the beginning of the Bible. God exists eternally in the past before he creates stuff. There was never a time when God was not. He is forever, God is forever. And the other end, there will never be a time when God is not. God is always present. He always is present. I am. In a sense, God's name is communicating similar themes to the fire, right? By saying I am, he's saying I'm not dependent on anything. You and I can't say I am. We're dependent on God for all that we have. We're dependent on other people. We're dependent on lots of things. God's dependent on nothing. God's saying, I am, I'm real, I have independence. You can know me as an experience and there is no life without me. I depend on nothing, everything depends on me. That is something really humbling about that, friends. Because here's what that means. If God is dependent on nothing and we are dependent on Him, then everything we have and everything we've done is ultimately not because of us, it's because of God working in our lives. Now you may say, But I've worked real hard for everything that I've got. I discipline myself, I studied hard. You know, I work out, I do this, I do. Okay. Whose brain are you using to think hard? Whose muscles are you using? Whose network of relationships have you leveraged for the contacts? God has given us all that we have. We're dependent on God for all things, for our IQ, for our relationships, for our families, for the place that we were born, for the country that we live in. We're dependent on God for all of that. But you know, there's good news in that story too. If we're dependent on God and he's not dependent on us, then the pressure's off, isn't it? We can depend on God. He's a good, loving, gracious God. You can relax a little bit. The pressure's off. You can trust him. He's taken, he's taken care of you so far, thus far pretty well, right? You can trust him to take care of you the rest of the way. Just as he's taken care of you in the past, he will forever endeavor. And you'll learn that in the future better than we know it now. God's name, always present, dependent on nothing, giving us graciously all that we have. Well, then we meet a really strange person in the story. We come to this angel stuff, right? Kind of right out of the chute, you meet the angel of the Lord. And so we have verses that kind of tell that right up front. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in the flames of the bush, right? Okay, so so let me ask you a question. Who appears to Moses? Angel of the Lord. Okay, now a little further down in verses 4 and 5, we read this. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to Moses from the bush. So who's calling to Moses from the bush? Okay, The angel of the Lord, now God's calling. Then a little further down it says, at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So is the angel in the bush or is God in the bush? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, this angel, uh, there's a problem and to understand something about the problem is to understand something of the solution. Now here's the problem. Moses is being sought by God. Do you see that in here? Right. Moses is not out in the desert seeking and looking around for God. All right. Moses is in the desert because he's running away. He's running away from Pharaoh because he killed an Egyptian, trying to take matters into his own hand. It, he's found that he takes off and he runs away into the desert. Moses is running away from Pharaoh. He's not running to find God. Moses is not seeking God, but God is seeking Moses. God lights this really strange fire in a bush that doesn't need fuel. There's independence, experience, and importance. God lights the fire. God does something to attract Moses' attention. God then calls to Moses from the bush. Hey, Moses, Moses. God's seeking Moses. Moses is not seeking God. Got that point? But here's the other half of the problem. Look at what happens when, when Moses comes close. Next slide. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. God is seeking Moses, and then God is warning Moses. What? Moses, come here. Don't come any closer, I'll kill you. Like, make up your mind. You want me to come or not come? What's the story here? Have you ever done the fire dance? I don't mean like the Indian one. You ever do the fire dance? You all have. If you've ever been around a fire, you've done the fire dance. Um, here's how the fire dance works. You're at a bonfire, it's a cool evening, right, or something like that, and you're a little chilly, right? You didn't come dressed appropriately for this deal because you, human beings shouldn't live where it gets cold, but you are where it's cold in the fire. And so you walk close to the fire, and you're getting warm. But if you stay there too long, what happens? Now you're too hot, right? And so now you've got to back away a little bit. When you back away, you get cool. Well, we used to have a dog uh, that did the fire dance all the time. We would light the fire. She would immediately... Push everybody out of way go and lay on the bricks in front, like inches from the fire, right? She'd lay there. After a few minutes, she'd be too hot, she'd get up and walk away. Ten minutes later, she comes back, lays on her bricks again. She's doing the fire dance, right? Kind of like thundercrack. She moves up, she moves back, you know. kind of goes like that. You move up, you move back. And that's the fire. That's kind of what's going on with Moses. God's calling him and God's coming any closer, you'll be consumed. One commentator says it like this. The most amazing thing. In Exodus chapter 3, it's not that the bush wasn't consumed, it's that Moses wasn't consumed. The presence of a sinful human being in the presence of a holy God. The most amazing thing about Exodus 3 is not that the bush wasn't consumed, it's that Moses wasn't consumed. We know what that's like, right? Suppose you uh, invite me to your house... And I knock at the door, you open the door, and immediately your little pet rabbit Diesel comes running to the door. Come and hopping over, right? And I look down at little Diesel's face, and Diesel's kind of angry, right? Diesel was hoping to spend the night alone with you, but now you have company. He's not real How afraid am I of Diesel? Not much. I could kick that little rabbit tail right across the living room, and there's no problem, right? Well, suppose I show up, and we'll ratchet it up a little bit. Now you're mean chihuahua. Named Spike comes to meet me at the door. And Spike's showing his teeth and he's Rar! how afraid am I? Not that because I can step on your little rat dog. And I'm not that afraid of your little Tawawa either. Now suppose I knock at your door and your German Shepherd, you're n- not a German shepherd from America, a real German Shepherd from Germany, kind of wear a tool belt, right? The German Shepherd from Germany shows up, and your German Shepherd from Germany, he's not real happy to see me. Now I'm a little nervous now, right I close the screen. I'm, I'm okay. How about if we talk out here? Suppose I show up at your house and your 600-pound lion comes to the door and you haven't fed him for three days, and he's kind of drooling the way you know your basset hound used to and say, "Yeah, I'm really nervous now, right? You know what Moses is learning? God's not a cute little bunny rabbit. God's not a Chihuahua or a German shepherd that frightens you. God is more like a lion. There's beauty and attraction. What's the exhibit at most zoos that gets most attention? The big cats. And if the bars were removed, everybody would run for their lives. Something of the fire dance, right? You get close, you're pulled in by the attraction and the warmth, and you're warmed, and you fear, and you run for your life. Moses is learning about the real God. Not the God that he wants to make up in his brain, but the God that exists. And the fire, there's a warning, but there's also this seeking. Well, how does the problem get solved? Well, that's the angel stuff, right? So how does the chapter begin? Go back, verse 1. Here's how it begins. I'm the next one. The angel of the, how does it get solved? The angel of the Lord solves it. Okay, as we already said. The word angel in the Bible just means messenger right messenger so uh, at times it's not only angels right we think of angels as angels but angels aren't only me- there are other messengers so for example in revelation it seems like the um, messenger the angels of the churches in revelation that doesn't mean calvary church has an angel it means that the messenger probably the leader the pastors of the churches they're the messengers right so angel means messenger. Now, there are angelic messengers, right? Those beings that kind of take God's word and distribute it. But usually when the other angels show up, like Gabriel shows up, Michael show up, they almost always say things like this. The Lord God has said, God has said. Interestingly, when the angel of the Lord shows up, that angel never says the Lord God has said. God, this angel of the Lord always says, I say to you. So there's something about the angel of the Lord that is distinct from God and yet identical with God. That's, that's really weird, right? So the angel of the Lord is different from God, distinct, but the angel of the Lord is identical. And so in verse 1, the angel of the Lord's in the bush. Verses 4 and 5, God speaks from the bush. In verse 6, Moses can't look at God. Well, there's an identical and yet a distinct Now, Moses doesn't get all that laid out for him in Exodus chapter 3, but if you know the rest of the Bible, you know how that goes, right? Is there a divine being that is identical with God yet distinct from God? Yes, there is. We call that person Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, right? right? And so here we see the angel of the Lord, the one that's bringing together God's holiness and sinful human beings. Think of it like this. And you can check this out. The angel of the Lord shows up a lot in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And the angel of the Lord usually shows up as the presence of God keeping company and being in relationship with sinful people. Now you've got a holy God. How can a holy God be in relationship and keep company with sin? That's what the angel of the Lord does. So when the angel of the Lord shows up, The holy presence of God keeping company and being in relationship with people that should be consumed in the presence of that holy God. And so in a sense we could say, Moses is not consumed just like the bush is not consumed in Exodus 3. Because one day in the distant future this angel of the Lord is going to come and take all of that fire that Moses deserves, so Moses gets none of it. The angel protects us from the fire of judgment by taking it for us. And here Moses is seeing the beginnings of that all the way in Exodus chapter 3. Okay, so we talked about three things that show up in the chapter. We talked about fire, name, angel. So what's the point? So what's the point? Do we leave thinking, oh, yeah, it's pretty cool, right? We got fire stuff. We got name stuff. We got angel stuff. That's great. Let, let's go to lunch. Um, well, here's the point. If you keep the general flow of that passage in mind, here's what you discover. God seeks. God seeks Moses, and God seeks you. God seeks me. God seeks us. God's seeking human beings. God lights a fire in a bush that doesn't need fuel. He does something to get Moses' attention. Now, here's an interesting thing that maybe you need to contemplate a little bit. You go back and read it. Moses sees the the bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed, and Moses goes over to investigate. So, here's my question. What if Moses never went over to look at? He said, look at that really weird bush over there. Here, sheep, come on, let's go home. He would have missed God's mission for his life. He would have missed the next era and season of what God wanted him to do. I wonder how many times God lit a bush in my life, but I was too busy with what I was doing and consumed, so I just kind of went on my own merry way, and the bush goes burning, but I never get to experience that next season of what God may want me to do. God's seeking. He then calls Moses, but God doesn't call until Moses goes over, right? The bush is on fire, Moses goes over, Moses, Moses, and then the call comes. But God seeks, and then God sends. So, right in the middle of the chapter, what does it say? Now, Moses, here's the plan I want you to go back to Egypt and bring my people out. God seeks and God sends. Those are the two points of the whole Bible. God seeks and God sends. God seeks and God sends. And maybe this is the application for you as, as, as it was for me and is for me. Sometimes I'm so busy and consumed with my own stuff that I don't hear and respond to God seeking me because I've got my own little stuff I'm doing. And so I miss out on that next season of what God wants me to do. Sometimes I'm so busy and consumed with what I'm doing, even if I do get the seeking part, right? I'm too busy to be sent. Oh, wait a minute, Lord, I don't have any time for that. I don't have energy to go and do that. Here's the bottom line. Our schedules are often too full to be sought and to be sent. We live at the end of our resources to the extent that we have nothing to seek with and nothing to go with. And so maybe we need to say, you know what? God is still seeking and God is still sending, but I need a little bit of margin in my schedule to have those conversations. I need a little bit of margin with my resources so I can give and participate in that. I need a little bit of margin with my energy so I can participate and help with Marshmallow Madness and I can be involved in bridge ministries and I can be involved in the Caregiver's Day and I can be involved in the other things that we're doing. I need margin to be sought and I need margin to be sent. God's doing his part, he's seeking and he's sending. Maybe it's time that we allow God to get our attention and to say, God, you're not dropping the ball. You're seeking and sending just like you were doing back in Exodus chapter 3. Maybe the ball's getting dropped on my end because I don't have time, energy, or the resources to seek or to be sent. I read an article uh, this past week about a a pastor at his church being asked a a question. Somebody was visiting the church, had been there for a couple weeks. I guess it was a church of a few hundred and so the pastor is uh, wandering around after the service, and this person, I guess, really concerned with, uh, with missions, right, concerned with reaching people. So this person goes up and he says, Pastor, pastor, you know, we've been coming for a couple weeks, but before we get more involved, I have a question for you. How many missionaries do you guys have? So the pastor stops and says, hmm, let me see. I think we have about 540. And the person said, yeah, but there were only like 400 people in the service. Where are all these missionaries? Well, a couple of them work at Target, a few of them at Home Depot, some work in an office, a bunch of them work in cubicles all over the place. We have a few executives, some small business owners. Oh, and by the way, we have a few missionaries in the region and the world too. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. How many missionaries does Calvary Church have? Well, a little over 3,000 actually. Some work in an office, some small business owners. Lots of them teach in different school districts. There's some secretaries and coordinators for different things. Some work at Home Depot. Some may deliver pizza. Some may work part-time. Some work at home. Some are retired. Some serve on their own time. We have all been sought, if not God seeking, but God always sends everyone that he seeks. But we need time, margin, energy, resources in order to seek and in order to be sent. Exodus chapter 3. Don't settle for the weak, flimsy little God of your imagination. Meet the God that really exists. Moses did in Exodus chapter 3. Changed his life. That's the same God that's seeking and sending each of us. Let's stand and pray. Father, we give you thanks for continuing to seek us. Moses' story may be a little different than ours, but it's the same two themes. God, you're a seeking God and you're a sending God. Lord, would you give us the courage to build a little margin into our schedules and our energy and our resources so that we can be sought and we can be sent? Thanks for doing your part. Help us to do ours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.